1: With Donovan and Ken, episode number 60 for September 8th, 2011. So, we are rounding
0: out our first year's worth of publishing in what we are calling the 90s. Finishing off the first uh, year's worth of Star Trek The Next Generation with issues number 10, 11, and 12. Cool. And uh, coincidentally, these are all part of one story arc. That mm-hmm. started a little bit last week, or not last week, but uh, the last time we did Star Trek: The Next Generation, mm-hmm. which involves the Enterprise what going uh, being accused
1: of killing some folks. Exactly. So there's uh, there seems to be a second Enterprise hanging around, perhaps that's doing nasty, dastardly things
0: while Picard was out trying to save Crusher. Uh, another enterprise has destroyed a starship, and Picard is on his way to face the—not uh, really a tribunal—that was that was more
1: Kirk's thing
0: last week. But
1: he's definitely going to get some questioning. Definitely, and they'll determine whether a court martial is in order because they're very they're very certain about their evidence, or so it appears, as we will discover. Issue number ten is titled "The Noise of Justice." Published date is July 1990, creative team is Jan Michael Friedman, penciler is Pablo Marcus, letters are Bob Pinaha, colorist Juliana Ferreter and editor is Robert Greenberger. The cover shows Picard standing in a detention cell, with his hands clenched into fists set aside. His mouth is seriously frowning, and his eyes are tightly closed. He is seriously sad. The floor he is standing on looks like the top of the Stargazer saucer section, and the title, The Noise of Justice, is superimposed on the wall behind Picard. The title page shows Picard walking through an open walkway of Starbase 104, near the Judicial Wing. Security guards with hand phasers are escorting Picard, and behind them is Geordi, Riker, and most of the bridge crew. Geordi is saying, just a minute! in some kind of ineffective protest. As Picard is taken under guard to his detention cell, he has a brief conversation with Geordie, who says that the truth is the truth. They are bound to see the truth eventually. Picard agrees with him with minimal enthusiasm. They wish each other well, and Picard continues on. Elsewhere, Admiral Rosenstrom is speaking to Captain Philippa I hope I got that right. The Starfleet prosecutor who tried Picard in the past as part of the Stargazer court-martial. Her efforts failed in that court-martial, and she confesses she hopes she will fail again. They both like and respect Picard greatly, but they say the evidence is so overwhelming that they do not see how Picard could be found innocent. The admiral says they still have to review the ship's logs and interview the senior crew. Philippa says true, but logs can be faked and the crew has a vested interest in Picard being found innocent. If Picard is found guilty, they will likely be next. In his attention cell, Picard is holding his head in his hands and going over the events of the past several weeks. The confusion on Erev, where the Enterprise was seen prior to their actual arrival the Ferengi complaining about the Enterprise violating their space. If he was not so preoccupied with Beverly's illness and ignoring direct orders to save her, they would be at Starbase 104 when the Nairobi was destroyed. These incidents are connected, but how and why did they happen? He comes to the sudden realization someone may be trying to drum him out of Starfleet. Elsewhere, Riker is being interviewed by Philippa. She offers him immunity from prosecution for his honesty in the matter. After verbally reviewing the full ramifications of her offer, Riker says he will stick by the captain to the end, period. Back in his cell, Picard is dealing with the possibility he will have to leave Starfleet. He thinks about how being on a starship is all he's ever wanted. However, he thinks back to a time when that was not so. He was young and failed his first Starfleet entrance exam. In despair, he had already quit the idea of joining Starfleet, but his friend Donald gave him the swift kick in the butt, keister, hindquarters, he needed to try again. Philippa is now interviewing LaForge. He tells her she's wasting her time. None of them will tell her what she wants to hear because it didn't happen. She says... His response sounds rehearsed. Geordie admits he did rehearse it. He had nothing else to do while waiting for the interview. She asks him if there are any questions he did not rehearse and have an answer for. He replies, just one. Who hates Picard enough to go to such lengths to destroy him? Excellent question, Geordie. In his cell, Picard muses that no matter how this all turns out, he has had a good run. No one has had as many close calls and lived to tell the tale. He remembers back to the days after graduation when he had got into a barroom brawl with some ill-mannered Nausikens and ended up with a knife in his back that punctured his heart. Would he have been so cocky back then if he knew how his career would end? Philippa's interview of Wharf is brief. She tries to use the fact that he was the only survivor of the Kittimer Outpost Massacre as some kind of motivation to come clean. Worf simply says he has nothing to say that she wants to hear. End of interview. Picard is now remembering one of his away missions on a swampy planet. Picard ends up making a quick, decisive move that saves his captain's life. Captain Rosenstrom, that is. The same man that is leading his prosecution now. Philippa is now interviewing Data. Data tells her the Enterprise had nothing to do with the destruction of the Nairobi. She asks Data if he is infallible. She asks if his memory could be altered. If his self-diagnostic programs can be turned off. He replies theoretically it's possible, but... She stops his elaborations cold and tells him no further questions. Picard sees a second guard talking to the guard posted outside of his cell. He says any moment now to Picard's guard. Picard asks his guard if there is anything he should know about. The guard responds that the Enterprise's logs have been reviewed and nearly all the depositions have been taken. They should reach their decision very soon. Picard says it's good to finally get over with all this. Then he asks the guard if anything's wrong. The guard says he had family on the Nairobi. Deanna is the next to be interviewed by Philippa. They converse about the subjective nature of truth, as perceived by living beings. As expected, Deanna emphatically states Picard and the Enterprise had nothing to do with the Nairobi's destruction. Philippa proposes the possibility of a mass delusion that convinced the Enterprise crew that they did not destroy the Nairobi, when in actuality they did. Deanna practically laughs at the idea. Admiral Rosenstrom enters the room and asks Deanna for a moment with Philippa. Troy leaves and the Admiral says the Enterprise logs support Picard's story to the last detail. Philippa says that depositions also point to Picard's innocence. They say how can that be given the video logs transmitted by the Nairobi clearly showing the Enterprise bearing down on them with phasers blazing. The Admiral refers to the other damning evidence but gives no specifics they go to picard's cell and tell him the conflicting evidence but based on the strength of the evidence against picard they are going to convene a court martial suddenly a starbase officer enters the room and tells them the enterprise has been sighted at the alpha sarpedian sector which is light years away from the starbase multiple sightings confirmed it finally there are two enterprises Picard and the Admiral give each other a knowing look. The court-martial will be postponed until these new sightings can be investigated. The Admiral tells Picard the Enterprise will be restored to his command so he can investigate the sightings and exonerate himself. However, the Admiral will accompany the Enterprise on this mission, and Picard will stay accused of the, the Nairobi Massacre until the Admiral sees this second Enterprise with his own eyes. To be continued.
0: Yeah, this was a good one. I liked it a lot. Yeah, I thought it
1: was good. It, it gave many members of the crew their chance to strut their stuff and, and how they were reacting to this situation.
0: Right, but the parts that I liked so much about it was that it it was a great backstory on Picard. I mean, all the flashbacks. True. Yes.
1: I, I really... Uh, many of which we're aware of already, if you've seen Star Trek Next Gen. Right. Although, definitely that one uh, on the planet... Saving his captain, Rosenstrom, uh, now Admiral. Uh, Never heard that one before, so that's new. Well, actually, the one when he was a kid and he uh, doesn't make the... When he fails the first entrance exam, I don't remember that one before either.
0: No, he tells Wesley that he failed the first time. Because when when Wesley doesn't make it the first time, he tells him that, that he also didn't make it the first time he tried to get in. Okay, so it was a verbal telling of the tale. Right. Cool. And the whole fight with the – well, in the in – the, Gnosticans. Yeah, in the TV show it was the Gnosticans. These guys don't quite look like Gnosticans, but uh, I mean the first episode that the Gnosticans were in was in season six. So this came out right at season three. So I mean they had no idea what a Gnostican looked like, but I think it looks pretty close to what they end up looking like. What do you think?
1: I did notice a difference myself, but it's been a while since I've seen Tapestry – the episode uh, right. that covered this part of Picard's life, I, I yeah. do remember them looking pretty nasty, big guys. Right, um, and they
0: have like the predator mouth where they have oh, the, right, right. the little mandibles that come out. Right, which these guys don't have, but but if just in a gla- you know, if you were just glancing through it, I, I knew right away that they were supposed to be Nausikains, and then it wasn't yeah. until I looked closer that I was like, oh no, these guys. Don't look right, and I had to do a little research to see, you know, if tapestry was already out by this time, and it and it wasn't. So, huh. uh, but the events in the story aren't quite how tapestry works out, because I think tapestry, Picard, was part of a gambling thing. Him and his friend that 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 angers the Nosikans so much. Yeah, they, rather they than get just cheated. talking loud. Yeah, they get cheated at or. The Noskans cheat him on some gambling thing, and then they cheat the Noskans, and then a big fight, and and right. Picard gets stabbed in the back. Right. But still, I liked it. I thought it was a good, you know, uh, Friedman obviously paid attention to one throwaway line in a in a season two episode uh, when Picard explains why he has an artificial heart. Came up with this story, and then, mm-hmm. you know, four years later in season six, they they do it in in an actual episode, and it's pretty close to this. Cool. Yep.
1: I liked it. Yeah, me too. Um, I, th- as far as the the crew doing their depositions, I thought what Riker said was a little, little odd. I mean, his responses were just a little off. But man, Jordy was like spot on in what he was saying.
0: Yeah, Riker almost makes it sound like he is lying. You know, I was like, or, well, yeah, I'm not gonna you want me to tell the truth and i want to stick by my captain not i'm telling the truth it's i'll stick by my captain well not only
1: that i mean he also went through what was going to happen if he did take the plea bargain and basically get immunity so i mean if he got immunity okay so he wasn't going to go to jail but and he wouldn't necessarily be kicked out of starfleet but i mean if he was a part of this I mean, he was going to be uh, on a garbage scow someplace, if not eventually forced to leave out, leave uh, through horrible uh, assignments. Right. So it almost makes it sound like he's he's thinking about all the ramifications of the plea bargain, and he says, "Forget that. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to stick with Picard. See how how things work out there." Where, where jury right away is just focused on the truth and saying the right things. Right. It just. Again, it seemed weird. Yeah, it, it was a little weird. Uh, interesting to see that uh, the admiral and Picard have uh, have history, and that actually Picard owes, or rather, the admiral owes Picard his life.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. So, did you did you take it that they were on the Stargazer when
1: Picard served under Rosentham? I did not. I don't remember them mentioning that. I mean, if they did, I, I don't remember it.
0: Well, the only reason why I thought it was because on the cover it says Stargazer. Yeah. And then you're doing flashbacks of Picard and, you know, young Picard. And yep. I just assumed that they were on the uh, Stargazer. And then I remembered that the captain of the Stargazer dies, and that's how Picard takes takes command. command. So it was right. like... Well, this Rosenstrom doesn't look dead.
1: <laughs> or Right, exactly. Um, and the other thing is, I, I didn't... The other reason they might have had the Stargazer there is that uh, what Philippa's talking about, how uh, Picard was uh, under court-martial um, proceedings because of an incident on the Stargazer. So I thought maybe it was more that, oh, here we are again... Um, you know, jailed and under uh, possible court-martial proceedings, just like back in the Stargazer days. Um, I thought that might have been the reason why the hull was underneath the, the jail cell that he was in. But I really don't know why the jail. <laughs> I don't know why the floor looks like the Stargazer for real. Because <laughs> I mean, it. I mean, obviously, it's not reality. I mean, no, no. They're just putting it there for some kind of uh, artistic uh, storytelling effect. And I'm not 100% sure what it is. Yeah. Like I
0: said, I just assumed seeing the cover and then having the flashbacks, I just assumed that we were in Stargazer flashbacks. But yeah. it never actually says that. It that doesn't was... say it. It,
1: it. Maybe it is a Stargazer flashback, but obviously not the same captain right. that, that eventually dies.
0: So this uh, Felipe, what was her name? Louvis?
1: Yeah, or it a... looks like some kind of French name. There's a whole bunch actu- of extraneous letters at the end. You probably don't uh, pronounce.
0: <laughs> now, was well, she? She's actually in an episode, right? She was. She was in an episode of Next Generation. Uh,
1: I guess so. And obviously, she was involved with uh, prosecution against Picard in the past, uh, in the Stargazer days. But I, I, I don't necessarily remember her being in Next Gen in the past. Maybe she was. I don't remember.
0: Now, And when you say the Stargazer thing, are you assuming that the court-martial is the, how he lost the Stargazer to the Ferengi or the Jack Crusher
1: uh, incident? I don't know. I guess it could have been either one, although I'm not as familiar about losing the ship to the Ferengi. Uh, maybe it had something to do with the Jack Crusher incident. I really don't know. I thought you. I thought you'd know. I thought I would just play along, kind of like keep it on the down low, and then you'd say, "Oh yes, that's that Stargazer Court Martial happened because of blah 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 blah." <laughs> and I'd be able to go, "Oh yeah, I remember that." Oh yeah, I remember that. I, now, I'm, I'm I'm sure we we'll get some cards and letters on this one.
0: Well, I, I think that the woman, Felipe, she was <laughs> uh, She was like a prosecutor when Data was
1: being tried as a man. She was
0: part of that whole thing, wasn't oh, she? Oh, was
1: she? Was she in that one? Yeah, yeah I, I just saw that one recently. And uh, I don't remember her name, though. But
0: I can't remember her hating Picard so much. So, and I don't remember any of the Stargazer
1: business well, in that I, episode. I, I don't think she hates Picard. I mean, I think she said she some, hates him in here. Well, I thought she said she. I thought she said at the beginning. I thought they both said at the beginning. Uh, she and the admiral that they have a lot of respect for Picard and they like him. Oh, okay. So they hope they're wrong, but, I mean, she's doing her job. I mean, she's definitely pushing the case.
0: I took that as just lip service from her side, to oh, just so yeah. that she doesn't
1: come across as being more right, biased, for actually. Biased, right? Uh, yeah, maybe. Maybe, maybe. But I don't know. Uh, I took it differently.
0: Yeah. You're a big phasers guy. What do <laughs> you think of the stargazer, Or I called them stargazer phasers, but I guess <laughs> the, the old school phasers that he used to shoot the <laughs> snake.
1: Oh, oh, I thought you were going to talk about the uh, the big, huge dustbuster phasers the guards were using.
0: All right, we can talk about those first. Uh, I thought they looked like uh, like an old like World War One pineapple grenade or a bowling uh-huh. pin. I couldn't, I couldn't decide which one it looked like.
1: Bowling pin. I like bowling pin. I mean, yeah. look at
0: that on page nineteen when he's standing there with it on his shoulder. It looks just like a bowling pin.
1: Yeah, I agree. Which is ridiculous. Exactly.
0: What's
1: he going to do with it? I, I don't know, but it's it, it's a re, it's a ridiculous design. I don't think we've ever seen before. Um, but but really, it's the dustbuster style they use in 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 year one. Only it is big. It's like at least three times the size of a normal dustbuster phaser.
0: It's about the size of this guard, who's a who's a very muscular man. It, it's about the size of his whole forearm so from, from like if he was making a <laughs> fist so from his fist down past his elbow that yep. that's how big it is
1: it reminded me a little bit of those uh phasers maybe they used them in next gen too but i definitely remember them being used in uh deep space 9 uh during when, when they were looking for all the shapeshifters um i remember them running around with what what had which looked like an oversized hand phaser, with like two handles on them, and I never liked that design either. So th- these big dustbuster ones reminds me a little bit of those that they used in um, in Deep Space Nine, and maybe they 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 showed up once or twice in in uh, Next Gen too. Uh, personally, I personally I, think- I don't like any of them. I, yeah. I think they look like garbage.
0: I definitely didn't like that one, but I think I like the one that Picard is using in the flashback even now even less okay oh even
1: less yes, okay good <laughs> <laughs> Because yeah, basically what it looks like is a big wide uh phaser one phaser type one it it looks it looks like a remote control well kind of but it it's almost like oval shaped It is oval shape. And and, and the front of it's kind of cut off. So it kind of reminded me of a Kirk-era hand phaser type 1, the smaller one, but grown much wider into kind of a, you know, like like a, well, a cut-off oval. Right. And it's like, if you had a phaser back in Kirk days, um, that could be that small. I mean... And have and be powerful. I mean, why, why are you going to this huge configuration uh, at some time period later, post Kirk? Uh, yeah, it's ridiculous. So it was interesting seeing another phaser style, but I just don't think the phaser styles uh, in here are very good. And the you know, and, and I agree.
0: That that is my one complaint. One of my major complaints about the. Uh, about the artwork in general. I, I really liked the flashback artwork. I mm-hmm. thought he did a good job making Picard look young, both the 12-year-old or 18-year-old, whatever, whatever he's supposed to be, Kirk, I mean, uh, Picard. Right. And then this one here on the Stargazer. Um, right. It kind of looks like a young uh, Patrick Stewart. I mean, not exactly, but it looks pretty good, I thought.
1: Good job. Right. But it's the, it's, the, it's the weaponry they did a bad job on. <laughs> agreed.
0: Agreed. Yeah. You know, and I'm, to be honest, not, not to bash somebody's work, but I'm not the hugest fan of uh, Pablo Marcos. Oh, yeah. In general. I mean, he's been doing all the Star Trek The Next Generation stuff so far that we've done. and Right. I don't know. Not always the biggest fan of what he does.
1: Yeah. I mean, some of the, some of the drawings of Picard, I think, are pretty good. Uh, his, his face and stuff. Right. Some of them, um, but, and and definitely the stuff he's got here is pretty detailed. I mean, he's not he's he's taken some time to 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 draw some of this stuff. Uh, the Nausikains have quite a bit of detail on them, but yeah, I mean, it's the style of it. You know, Wharf doesn't quite look right. Um, and maybe that's it. Maybe it's
0: just the style because he he's. Really artsy a lot of times with some of the camera angles and things like that. Hmm. That just kinda puts me off a little bit. Right. We'll see it in the next issue when when Troy has her thing.
1: Here in a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> has her thing. Okay. Yeah, and let me see, I don't think I have uh, And, and
0: Admiral Rosenthal in general. I mean, the man looks ridiculous.
1: Yeah, he's huge.
0: And he has, like, uh, I don't know if you ever watched uh, um, Thundercats, but he looks like Titus ah. from the Thundercats. He, he has orange hair that kind of fans out at the temples, and right. at the temples it's white.
1: Right. That's true. He looks like a, a Thundercat. <laughs> <laughs> And he's pretty broad and stocky. I mean, he reminds me a little bit of, uh, like, like some, some big guy, like a Juggernaut. I mean, not as big as Juggernaut, but, you know, just kind of kind of broad and uh, no neck and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yep. I gotcha. All right. At this point in the comic, because I didn't know exactly where I was going, I thought it was very odd that the other Enterprises finally sighted. If there was a second one, as soon as the real Enterprise was taken under custody, I figured eventually the other guy would pop up unless it really was some kind of Ferengi trap or something. But the fact that it would pop up um, relatively quickly after they got to the Starbase just, you know, it it was a little perplexing to me because I figured, well, okay, maybe it isn't uh, somebody's conspiracy, which is what uh, Picard thinks it is and Geordi thinks it is
0: well that's what I think anybody would think it is that's right. what I thought it was too yep.
1: right but as we'll see in the next coming issues we'll find out exactly what this second Enterprise is perhaps more than meets the eye
0: indeed alright you done with Tim? I'm done alright so next up is Star Trek Next Generation number 11 entitled The Imposter." which came out August 1990. So the cast and crew is all the same as last issue, so we won't go over that. So it starts off with the cover, which shows two Galaxy-class Enterprises facing off against one another. Uh, The upper part of the page has a little window, or actually it's a large window, but a window of Data telling Picard, there is no error, sir. That is the Enterprise. So that's to to grab you in. Space is indeed the final frontier for several crewmen floating amongst the debris of the USS Merrimack. The Starfleet vessel was destroyed by the Doppelganger Enterprise. Worf scans the wreckage and concludes that the attack must have happened only hours ago. Grieving that they were not able to arrive in time, Picard calls the team together to discuss possible ways to predict the next point in which the impostor will attack. As they speculate and come to dead ends regarding the complete lack of an ion trail, Wesley and Crewman Forthall discuss the recent events at their posts. Forthall is utterly disgusted at the loss of lives. Uh, it seems that this type of violence is virtually unknown to his people. Back in the conference room, Data has an inspiration. The imposter ship is following the Enterprise's flight plans f- during their first year. With this knowledge, they, know, they now can speculate where the ship will attack next, and that is the Beta Tarsus system. Picard dismisses the crew and orders Wesley to change course. Once alone, Picard and Admiral Rosenstrom have a discussion. Rosenstrom does not believe that Picard should fly off on the androids' hunch. Picard explains that his, his instincts also told him that Data was correct, and that if he is not correct, then it will be his shoulders that will have to bear the guilt of losing another starship or colony to the imposter. In 10 Forward, Crusher has a talk with Guinan about all the lost lives. In engineering, McRobb laments to Geordi about the type of people who would create such a powerful ship that just happened to look just like the Enterprise and that they would use this ship to wipe out colonies and other starships. The Enterprise arrives at Beta Tarsus and sees no evidence of the other Enterprise. They contact the colony leader just as a galaxy-class starship arrives in orbit bearing the markings NCC-1701D. The imposter fires at the Enterprise and with a few shots has nearly completely stripped away the Enterprise's shields. It seems that every move that Picard orders, the ship is already firing and tagging the Enterprise uh, with its phasers. And when Picard orders return fire, the ship is always uh, moving into another direction Picard orders Wesley to make evasive maneuvers and this seems to keep the other ship from uh, or keeps the Enterprise from taking any more hits Riker speculates that the captain of the fake Enterprise must know Picard so well and that's why it seems that uh, they're always one step ahead of Picard in, in all of his decisions To test this theory, Picard gives Riker command, and under Riker's direction, they are able to score several major hits against the doppelganger. Bruised, the fake Enterprise turns tail and starts to run. Picard orders the Enterprise to pursue, to be continued. Uh So, unlike last issue, I don't think much happened in this one. It was all speculating and... I didn't really think that we should go through every single thing they were talking about because it's it's all red herring type stuff anyways. It is, but they
1: were – so it, it, it's them trying to figure out what the heck's going on here. So and that's fine. It's just uh, that, but it didn't you even know, cut s- to the chase.
0: It didn't even seem like they were really even talking about it. They talked a little bit about the Ion Trail, but aside from that, it was more like, oh, can you believe they just killed that ship? All the <laughs> died. Exactly. I mean – Now we're up to thousands.
1: Now we're up to a thousand people.
0: So, I mean, yeah, it just seemed odd that everybody's taking it so personally. I mean, because this is not the first time they've seen another starship explode and people die. Right. Yet all these very seasoned officers are really
1: shaken up about it. Right. We haven't got to Wolf 359 yet in the continuity, right? No, not yet. It's at the end of the season. So, uh, yeah. Get used to it. Come on. High body count. That happens with Star Trek. Let's move on.
0: Yeah, That's a good point. So I'm assuming that the DC Comics didn't create any comics in between season three and four. (laughs) Because there would have been no time, really. Right. So anyways, that would have been interesting if they did an issue that happened during that timeline.
1: Oh, the, the Borg attack or which one? Yeah, just... You know, or after but, the Borg attack? Yeah, or just during it, or I don't know. Yeah, but, I, I'd like to. I'd like to. I would like to see a series of books a little bit more about uh, the Armada that attacked it, as they're trying to pull them together, and got wiped out, and got wiped out. I would like to see more about that. I like to see more details there. It was great on the first episode of Deep Space Nine, which gave us more information uh, about at least some of the ships that were involved uh, with that attack, at least. Uh, Cisco's, um, Saratoga. Oh, very good. I had no idea what it was. Uh, but yeah, I, I, thought that was it. That was a nice little, um, little window into that really important event. Uh, I'd like to see more. That would be I, interesting. IDW, but... come on. Crank something out. <laughs> okay, so this episode, uh, especially, it just reminded me, there were, there were a lot of things with Wesley in there and even, he even had an idea um which came up within this issue or the next one but the main point is it's reminding this issue reminded me again how often wesley is at the helm of the ship and i'm sorry i missed the the episodes that explained all that i mean i know picard's given the kid a chance to uh, to do stuff but he's steering the ship he hasn't he hasn't even been to the academy yet i mean they got this this kid flying the ship around on a regular basis. I mean, once right. in a while, okay, maybe. It's just, you know, get Sulu in there or something. Come on. It's a lot of people in the sh- in the ship, I just <laughs> I just feel a little weird about having a boy genius flying the ship around.
0: I, I agree. And it was as soon as as soon as he made him an acting ensign, uh he was old. he was never not on the on the bridge until he was replaced by Ensign
1: Rowe. There you go. And he was even at the at the helm um, in Best of Both Worlds uh, when they were getting ready to were, Riker was going to get him to uh, ram the Borg cube, and the kid had his finger. He was going to do it. He was going to do it. And it just seemed like an awful lot of responsibility for even an acting ensign. Yeah. Well, he's he's a tough little kid. Well, I guess so, but I mean, I mean wasn't even Sulu always lieutenant? I mean, in the original <laughs> series. I mean, at Good least point. get uh you know, at least get I mean, he's steering the ship. I don't know. You're
0: right cuz um, and then in that comic book that we read the other day, or whoops, maybe not the other day. <laughs> uh that uh Peter Pan book that we read uh back in issue number or episode number 42. Mm-hmm. Uh it was saying that Sulu was still a uh, an ensign during the movie, the first movie.
1: I'm, I'm just oh that was playing devils after well there. that was that was that was just a stupid comic book. I mean they they didn't have any clue about <laughs> continuity. <laughs> uh, stupid comic book. Uh, yeah, don't stupid comic book. Uh, don't, that's don't what everybody out. says about these. <laughs> no, what do
0: what these? This when is I is tell them stuff. what my passion is, they're like, oh, oh
1: stupid, stupid comic, comic book. book. Well, they don't get it. I'm sorry. Excuse me, but all the movies that are making a a buttload of money these days, what are they based on? Comic books. Hello. Anyway. (laughs) So,
0: on a different note, uh, what do you think about Forthall, the the uh, green-skinned replacement for Data when
1: when Data's off doing real stuff? Commander. Commander things. Okay. Taking over the ship. Um, well, that hasn't happened yet. Oh, oops. Okay. Um, ah, <laughs> well, yeah. Well, you yeah, notice he's there. that he's, he's different. He looks colored weird.
0: Consistently, at least in this issue well, and next well, issue,
1: I agree. And he doesn't look like like he's got a spleen attached to the side of his head.
0: Yeah, because last issue, he at one point he had like a pink hair, and then another issue, another frame, he had. You know, orange hair and orange face, I mean, it was just like right. he was all over the place,
1: yeah, at least this time, even though he looks kind of weird, I mean at least it's something that isn't like vile and gross.
0: It's like he's green skinned and he has and his head is shaped like Elvis's hair <laughs> but it's not it's not hair, it's actually skin, but it's elvis hair shaped skin. <laughs>
1: A, is that a pompadour? No. It, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. You're right.
0: But it, 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 I just like that it's at least consistent over right. two whole books. Ooh. Hell, it's even consistent over a couple of frames. Yeah. Anyways.
1: Well, um, talking about consistently drawing that guy, um, I just have to comment on some of the drawings of Guinan. Okay. Uh, like on page 13 when she's talking to Beverly. Sure. Um, some of the some of the drawings looks a little bit like Whoopi Goldberg, but some of them, that's not Whoopi Goldberg. I mean, it's like, that's that's a different that's a different uh lady of color. I'm sorry, that's not Whoopi. Um, well, I mean, she's I only in
0: what five five or so panels. Um, there's only well, one that I think looks
1: not right. Yeah, she's she's in uh, two pages, right? From the first to the end. And, um, uh, the full face views do not like, I don't think any of them look like her. I mean, the closest one that looks like her is maybe when she's smiling in the first panel. Yeah, definitely that first panel. Yeah. The one beneath it, like, directly beneath the first panel, so the, the middle one on the left, right. that, that's not Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah, that's on Sorry. page 12 for anybody following on. Exactly. And then page 13, the bottom left one is probably the worst one. That is not Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah, I, I I agree. You're right. But some of the some of the side views, like 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 that profile above, you know, maybe. But
0: anyway. Yeah, and and definitely that first picture on page twelve, I thought looked a lot like her. But you're yeah. right. I, from there, right. it kind of goes off. It's
1: got she 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 seems to have the smile right.
0: So yeah, right. good point. Um, hey, since since they're talking about their year one experiences. These places they're going to and are being destroyed, those weren't in episodes of the show, right? Like this Beta Tarsus and Alpha Sarpedium, Sarpedian, whatever well, you're, it
1: is. You're saying they weren't? I'm asking. Oh, are they? I, I would guess they probably were. I mean it seems like um, uh, Jan Friedman is pretty good about his uh, – you know, looking back in the past, maybe not quite as scholarly as Mr. Uh, David, but um, I, I I think he probably got some of the stuff right.
0: See, I was thinking maybe that Beta Tarsus um, was from that episode Justice where where uh, Wesley was going to get killed because he broke a skylight <laughs> or something. And that's why on page 9 when, when Picard orders <laughs> him to set course to Beta Tarsus, he kind of rolls his eyes.
1: Oh, interesting! And
0: I was like, "Oh, okay, that's that planet where he almost got killed, and he's not looking forward to going back." But <laughs> those guys were like humans, and they definitely weren't these blue-skinned women that uh, that they actually talk to once they get there, right? So I, I'm I'm uh, thinking that maybe they just made up these places.
1: Oh, maybe, but um, yeah, could have. I'm thinking he he he's, he's enough into Star Trek, uh, Friedman, that he probably went to the trouble of, of using some real places from the show, but who knows. Well, you I've done be, a search be on correct. Beta Tarsus, and I can't find anything. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, why didn't you say that in the first place? Because I wanted you to f- tell me you I'm just, wrong. You just, you just want to bait me into it. No. Uh, I, yeah, I, I didn't do research. Sometimes uh, you, you it, have you stuff said, off, right. of, off the cuff that uh, I can't find. I, I am not aware. I mean, they sound familiar, kind of, but, you know, you know, most most of these planetary names, a lot of them are really stars, you know. Right. You, you look them up in in a, in a star guide. Uh, I wouldn't doubt if, yeah, so I might have heard it from uh, a Star Trek episode. I might have heard it as just mentioning a, a real star. I don't know, but they kind of sounded familiar to me, but, you yeah, you could be right. What's the deal with data when when they start taking hits from
0: the the fake enterprise and data's like we have lost shield number 1. Oh
1: right. And then we've yeah. lost
0: shield number 2, 50% on shield number 3. I've never heard them do that before.
1: No, it's usually the forward shield, aft shield or you know something like that.
0: Okay. Well, I was I was kind of in picturing it that it was actually shield on top of shield that and I was like, well, I've never heard that. It's usually just a percentage of of all the shields, so we've sure. lost, you know, X percent on the forward shield, something like that. Yeah, exactly right. That, that's what I'm used to to, to hearing too. So. And in the, in the next issue, that's what they go back to um, in, in issue number twelve. But for whatever reason, here in eleven, they had shield number one, shield number two, shield number three.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that was a lot. But at least it's not bad, as uh, when Spock refers to it as. Uh, what does he call them? The four Shields. Or the, uh, you know, whatever he called them. It probably was one of those Peter Pan comics, those damn Peter Pan comics. Mm,
0: maybe. I don't remember
1: that. At least they're calling them Shields. Yeah, that might have been a gold key thing. <laughs> might have been gold key. It could have been either one. Yeah. Neither <laughs> one of them were too uh, consistent about uh, lingo. Sure. So let's find out how they get out of this pickle. All right. Number 12. Whoever Fights Monsters. September 1990, published date. Same people involved, I won't mention it again. Synopsis. The cover shows Troy in a bulky white spacesuit floating in open space. She is staring in horror at another spacesuited figure in the foreground. It appears to be Picard in another bulky spacesuit, but half of him is covered with a green gray goo and the uncovered half of his face makes him look like he is in some kind of trance. The gray surface of a moon or planet is showing in the lower right corner. The story begins in Picard's office on the Enterprise. Admiral Rosenstrom is apologizing to Picard for not trusting Picard's decision to go to the Beta Tarsus system, based on Data's theory of where the Phantom Enterprise would strike again. Data and Picard were right, and they probably saved the colony there. His apology, however, does not stop the Admiral from reminding Picard of Starfleet policy, which dictates he must consider any and all options to avoid destroying the Second Enterprise. Picard is annoyed by the Admiral thinking Picard capable of doing anything less. The Admiral says it's his job to mention these kind of things, and now that it's complete, he wants Picard to get on with his job. They head to the bridge. On the bridge, Riker is directing the battle against the Doppelganger ship, but with less success than before. They are scoring some direct hits against the Enterprise's shields, as if they now know what Riker will do before he does it. Picard decides they have Riker's number, so now he orders Data to take over the direction of the battle. The fresh tactical ideas turn the tide, and Data is able to inflict enough damage for the doppelganger to drop her shields momentarily, long enough for Worf to scan her and determine that the ship is actually a single biological entity. It is able to project an illusion to make it look like the Enterprise, but it is actually a single living entity that is an energy-based life form. Troy chimes in, saying when the shields came down, she, she could get impressions of the life form herself. It is a thinking, sentient being. Picard calls it a living mimic whose motivations they can only guess at. Troy says they can do more than guess, since she could read emotions from the creature. It was happy during the attack. Riker asks how could it be happy even when they were kicking the tar out of it in battle? Deanna said its emotions were quite clear. In fact, it was having fun. Picard is incensed that the creature is having fun at the cost of a thousand Federation lives. Deanna defends the creature, saying it seemed unaware of the moral consequences of its actions. Riker offers that it following the Enterprise in its own tracks was all part of another game. Data suggests that if the creature does not know what it is doing, then it is up to them to inform it of the consequences of its murderous actions. Worf says they need to stop it from killing again. That is their top priority. After plenty of talk and moralizing, the bridge crew decides to attempt to contact the creature to make sure it realizes that hundreds of living beings are aboard the real Enterprise and the ships it has destroyed recently. Wesley suggests that they might get the idea that living beings are in the ship if they fly a shuttlecraft in plain sight of the Doppelganger Enterprise. Picard accepts his idea, despite the dangers. Deanna, Riker, and Data pilot three separate shuttlecrafts that approach the Enterprise Mimic. Three shuttlecrafts emerge from the Mimic ship, identical to the ones piloted by Riker and Company. They find that the Mimic Shuttles are being piloted by Mimic versions of Riker, Troy, and Data. They attempt to speak to each other's doppelganger to no avail. The Mimics just don't accept that intelligent life can exist that is matter-based, as opposed to the energy beings that they are. Finally, sensing they have tried everything, Riker is about to give up when Deanna suggests she might be able to link with them on a more effective level. She is not sure how the link may affect her, but she is willing to make the attempt. Riker does not want her to do it, but if this is the only way to make them understand, Deanna says she is going to try it, and asks Will to wish her luck. Deanna's connection with the creature causes her to writhe in a very suggestive way. The other Enterprise begins to glow, and then change shape into some kind of fireball of energy that streaks away at high speed. Deanna is hurt in her shuttle, so Riker remote pilots it back to the Enterprise. When Troy comes to in sickbay, she is surrounded by Dr. Crusher, Picard, the Admiral, Will, and a frowny face Data. She makes a comment about feeling like Dorothy waking up in Kansas. They ask Deanna how she feels, and after she says fine, they start grilling her on what happened. Deanna reports she successfully got across what they are and what the ships were that they destroyed. Quickly after her explanation, she got a feeling the mimic was full of remorse and self-loathing for the things that it had done. The Admiral tells Picard that that this is twice Picard saw the correct course of action and twice that he did not. They all leave Troy to get some rest. As Data and Riker are departing sickbay, Data asks about Troy's reference to Dorothy waking up in Kansas. Riker comments that Data must not be familiar with the Wizard of Oz. Data says he is not. In response, Riker says that is too bad because he thinks Data would enjoy the story, particularly the part with the Tin Woodsman. The end.
0: The Tin Woodsman, he only needed a heart. Uh,
1: uh, right just like Data right exactly Except, which he eventually gets only in the form of a chip
0: I did like the joke at the end um, I think it actually works well and I think it actually kind of does a nod to when Riker first meets Data in the holodeck in, um, uh, encounter at Firepoint when he mm-hmm. refers to him as Pinocchio Right, I, I kind of okay. got the same vibe, the same, you know, joking vibe. I liked it; thought it was
1: good. Yeah, I like it. I liked it too, as long as I didn't think too much about it. I yeah. I, I liked the first, you know, reading it. And it's like, oh, it's a little poignant. It says a little thing about data. And so that was kind of cool. But then I started thinking about it. Like, okay, Data's got all this stuff data uh, data <laughs> knowledge packed away in his neural net. Uh, it's like, yes, this is pop culture from hundreds of years earlier, but um, I would think that Data would have a higher probability of being familiar with The Wizard of Oz, uh, the novel or the movie, than Deanna would. I mean, she's, she's not even human. Uh, right, well, she's half human. No, I, well, I agree. A- and that was the first thing she I She wasn't raised too. on Earth.
0: Right. And that was the first thing I thought, too, when, when Deanna said that. I was like, she says she, you know, she implies that she's seen Wizard of Oz. And yeah. so that implies that she's watched the movie. And I'm like, Or read a book. Doesn't she say see? I, I don't know. Well, definitely the camera angle is very Wizard of Oz ish right. with them all leaning over the, the table around right. her. Yep. But, but, anyways, I just, uh, I thought, well. You know, they always make such a big deal that nobody sits around and watches movies in this timeline. So right. how, how would she have known that that was a scene from the movie? Sure. But again, like you said, don't think about it too much.
1: Yeah, it's fine if you don't think about just, it. Just uh, go with it. Yeah, and you know, I, I bet IBM's Watson would get the reference. <laughs> so uh, if Watson, a modern-day computer, which a damn sophisticated one. Uh, which is programmed with a lot of uh, cultural references, literary references, things like that. Want data? I mean, come on. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Uh, anyway. uh, good point. So
0: just speaking of Troy kind of being out of character, why was she flying one of the shuttles, and, and why did they do the whole shuttle thing at all? That That
1: seemed really kind of silly to me. Well, they said the boy Genius says. Let's do it. Yeah, but it's a horrible idea. <laughs> well, they definitely, although I didn't talk much about a little bit about it, but it's dangerous. Wouldn't you think it'd be dangerous? I mean, this thing's blowing other ships out of the sky, and you're going to fly three measly little uh, shuttles towards it? I don't think right. that's so, pretty risky.
0: So, yeah, so for Giggles, this entity has somehow scanned the Enterprise and reformed itself to be 100% accurate. And for Giggles, it goes around blowing ships. Sh- ships up uh-huh. i was gonna say ships i wasn't gonna say anything else so yeah, it's okay. blowing ships up yep. so why would it not even if it saw these little uh shuttlecraft why wouldn't it just create another shuttlecraft and then have that shuttlecraft for giggles blow the blow the shuttle up
1: <laughs> exactly <laughs> I, that, that... I didn't
0: understand the 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 creature's logic there
1: right they, and also, it's it's repairing itself, so maybe it still wasn't quite in, in a position to attack things, but still. I yeah. mean, you're, you're creating all this stuff down to the minutest detail, including putting people, you know, mimic people inside those mimic shuttlecrafts. I mean, and, oh. and, and, and then they're talking face-to-face. So the fi- the the, Riker, the real Riker is talking to the mimic Riker, and the same thing for the other two. And it's just like, how can you not know things are in things are things things are in these ships? I mean living things are in these ships. What what was it referred to it as a, some kind of mechan, there was some kind of mechanical contrivance or something? Yeah, they were like a construct of the the entity itself. Right. And it it's just like, assumed that that the real crew was the same thing. Right. So anything that's matter can't be living. Is I I guess is what the these creatures think. Right. Uh, so they must be, be from a very odd part of the uh, universe, uh, galaxy, uh, dimension. I don't know. But <laughs> but but my thing is is that how did it ever
0: scan the Enterprise to begin with? I don't know. And, and not only scan it, but also scanned it so well that it knew the commander's every move. Well, Like, okay, we are the Picard's Enterprise, so we're going to act and feel just like Picard would. And then, oh, wait, we switched to Riker. Now we're going to act like Riker would.
1: How did it know that? I don't know. Uh, Did it know it from past scannings? Did it figure it out during the battle? You know, whoever was the commander, did they... uh, gather that information, model the thought patterns, and, and being able to get ahead of it like that? Or is this from past scanning? Because uh, obviously it it, it it scanned them in the past, otherwise it couldn't have become uh, a mimic of them. I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't make sense, man. It yeah. doesn't
0: make sense. Damn it. And that annoyed me, because I, I, I liked the story all the way up until that point, when, when you realize that, oh, we're not going to really explain it to you at all.
1: <laughs> and another thing is, you mentioned uh, Encounter at Firepoint. I was thinking, is this one of those creatures? Uh, oh, maybe. Um, no, because those look but, like jellyfish. Exactly. Well, in the end, it looked like a fireball rather than a jellyfish. But the first thing I was thinking when they said, oh, it, it looks like a starship, but it's actually a single being. I was thinking, oh, well, it's like the space station or the... Well, that's that, a good point, because couldn't,
0: couldn't space station... It could have created... It could create things, too, right?
1: Oh, this this entity? Oh, oh, back in Encounter far Farpoint.
0: Yeah, because anything they thought of, wouldn't it just appear? Because the ship was... Or the, the entity was creating it for him.
1: Yeah, I guess. It's been a long time since I've seen that, ep- so, that episode. Maybe,
0: and that would actually explain why the ship... This ship was following the Enterprise's route. Because... Because it it would have been just, you know, it it left uh, Farpoint and then it came back and it was like following the Enterprise's trail. Hey, you might have been onto something
1: there, Ken. That's a very good explanation. Well, I don't know if it's really an explanation. It's just that we may have seen this this type of life form before.
0: Yeah, but if that's the case, if this was that creature from Encounter at Farpoint. Oh,
1: I wasn't jumping to that conclusion. That it was the exact same creature.
0: Well, I mean even if it was the same creature and somehow it got the scans of the enterprise from the creature that that was there, you know.
1: Mm. mm you
0: mm. know, maybe it was like the offspring of those t- of of the one from Encounter at Farpoint. And the little boy was like or the little the little tyke was like I'm going to go playful explore tyke. the galaxy. Exactly. Just like my dad did, except he got stranded on a planet and became a city. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, oh, I, I, the, the, the whole I, I, thing's a little silly, quite frankly. But yeah, yeah,
0: but but when you when you paint it in that light, I can, in my mind, I can make it work so that uh, this story works <sighs> for me now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, good. I'm, I'm glad I was able to do that for you.
0: you you've justified the story arc, and it's now greatness.
1: <laughs> oh, oh, I definitely wouldn't go that far, but it, it, it's it's pretty good. I mean. I'm yeah. still
0: not a fan of, of sending people out in the shuttles and no. one of them being piloted by Troy. Right.
1: And then when Troy does make contact with him, I mean, she looks like – it looks like a pornographic scene almost. She's like, Wah! you know. Yeah, that's what I was talking about around.
0: earlier where uh, Marcos, he he's very artistically drawing her and then the swirly stuff around her with all oh, the right. people's emotions. Right, right,
1: right, right. But yeah, because right, of it, course it. it is an interaction which is going on in her mind. So yeah, <sighs> but yeah, uh, but he does get a little artsy-fartsy with it. <laughs> and
0: and the whole visual of when real Riker's talking to fake Riker and Troy, to Troy and real Data to fake Data. I mean, they're in two different ships, yet here in the panels it looks like they're talking face to face
1: right in
0: reality they're they're in two different ships they're in two
1: different ships right yep which
0: you know when i was reading that and i flipped from page 15 to 16 and they're suddenly talking face to face i was like oh whoops i missed a page because now they're in the same ship and then i'm oh no no
1: oh it's artistic gotcha exactly it's kind of like that floor of the uh, stargazer popping up underneath the cell. It's artistic.
0: <laughs> well, that's a cover. I, I can forgive a cover for being artistic more than than in the in you know random panels of the of the issue itself. Right. Right. I mean, like this cover. It shows like a a melting Picard, yeah. which let's,
1: is nowhere in. Let's the, talk uh, about yeah. Let's talk about that cover, shall we? Your point. Nothing like this happened in the book. Period. True. Not even came near it, but it's a good it's a good cover. Yeah, it's fine. It, it gets your attention. It makes you say, "What the heck's going on here?" Yeah, because it looks like half of Picard is either
0: melting or turning into Swamp Thing or something.
1: Right, but actually, I mean, in actuality, I guess they're just trying to say, you know, this is the entity, right, making a a picard clone or something and it's half done or whatever exactly. I don't or
0: remember. it was a picard clone that's half melted or, or or reverting back to its natural state exactly right
1: yeah it, it's it's
0: a cool visual and i kept waiting in the story for troy to i have expected uh wesley to say i got an idea let's get in space shuttle or space, space suits, suits. jump out in space
1: <laughs> and kind of wave our arms real fast but uh we could do space angels no. But the Troy
0: there doesn't look anything like Troy. I'm assuming that's supposed to be Troy. Well,
1: that's the closest person in the crew that ident- identified because she's got dark hair, uh, uh, um, uh, and she's uh, female. <laughs> she's female. Um, that's where the that's where she, the she, likenesses she, end. Well, I mean, her coloring is a little bit uh, more. Troy's coloring is more like olive. What, right. what what is she what is she like? Uh, Greek. I mean right, M- Maria Skirtis or whatever. Yeah. She she's Mediterranean, whatever. So at least she's she's not pale, but her her skin is almost like pink, like like red, like she's got a little suntan going or something. I don't know. But yeah, the closest person is uh is Deanna. Right to that drawing. Yep. So
0: Anyways, it, it was an interesting cover, but you're right; It had absolutely nothing to do with the issue. Right,
1: or a, except in an artsy fartsy way. <laughs> Speaking <laughs> of artsy fartsy,
0: I can forgive artsy fartsy uh, covers. Uh-huh. It's just when it's the actual storyline, it gets it gets a little annoying sometimes for me.
1: Right, because you know I'm uncultured. Yes. So, since you're uncultured, what do you think of the uh, Nietzsche rever- reference?
0: Well it wasn't my
1: favorite Nietzsche reference, but uh <laughs> I have so many I would have used rather in this tome. No, it's like okay. <laughs> so be careful fighting monsters in case you become one become in the process become a monster. Okay. Okay. Well I, I yeah, didn't quite I didn't do- quite get that, but I, I I guess they're just trying to say uh, hey, this thing's killed thousands of people, but, you know, you don't want to become a monster to stop it. There might be ways of stopping it without killing it and becoming a monster yourself. I mean, I guess that's what they're saying, but it's like... Why couldn't they just say that? She was... Exactly. <laughs> what is it? Everything has to be covered over in fancy talk? No. Anyway,
0: One last thing that I have about all three of these issues. These came out in the summer of 1990. And okay. um, so they have a lot of movie ads. And I didn't realize the, how many great movies came out that summer.
1: So have, ah, is this sarcasm?
0: No, I'm serious. We have Total Ford Recall, Fairlane? Total Recall. Ford Dark Fairlane? Man, Robocop 2. Uh, yeah, there's some stinkers in there, like Ford, Ford Fairlane, Fairlane and Navy SEALs, but come on.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, th- th- these DC comics do get a lot of movie ads um which you see him once in a while in other comics but uh yeah the D, DC was getting a lot of good movie uh ad revenue at this time period yeah
0: and also there's an ad for Swamp Thing the series which which I was a big fan of at this time right so yeah. anyways i i just thought it was great i just forgot how much how much good sci-fi type media was coming out at this timeline at this time yep even dick tracy Tracy came out that uh has some ads in here
1: too yep yeah well what what camp do you put that in uh the stinker or not it wasn't horrible well i'll agree with that but there's a lot of things that probably weren't horrible i mean i never saw saw exactly (laughs) funny (laughs) how we went right to that one I, i never saw it I just That's, know it. It didn't seem to make a lot of money, but
0: no. Nah. Well, it has Warren Beatty in it. Oh. Oh, uh, you were talking Dick about Ford Fairlane?
1: No, I'm talking about Ford Fairlane. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm sure that one stunk. Dangerous Clay. Yeah. So, now, mind you, I did. Oh, so you did not see the Dick Tracy movie?
0: Oh, I saw Dick Tracy. I liked okay, it.
1: Okay, so did I? I liked it too. That was pretty good.
0: Yep. Nope. The only Madonna movie I liked.
1: <laughs> Madonna movies. Uh, I guess, I guess yeah. she
0: was in Die Another Day. I guess that one wasn't too bad.
1: Her little cameo, right?
0: All right. So, do you want to do the elsewhere?
1: Let's do it in Star Trek.
0: So, make it so. Yep. So, in July, there was a novel set in the Next Generation timeline called Doomsday World by and There's quite a few authors here, so bear with me. Cameron Carter. I I don't know them. Peter David. I've heard that name somewhere. Michael Jan Friedman. I've heard of him. And Robert Greenberger. Which is the editor of all the Star Trek comics from DC Comics. So, the four of those gentlemen wrote this book called Doomsday World. Which I have not read, but I'm kind of wanting to now. And it's Basically about an archaeological team consisting of Geordie, Data and Wharf. Uh, they get cut off from the enterprise, and they are suspects of a terrorist attack. And then they're imprisoned, and they're you know, basically it's, I think it's like a, a trial type thing or a detective type story. But anyways, I mean that's, that's, that's a good pedigree of
1: authors there. Wow, that's something. Although, I must say, at this point, after the last week's issues and this week's issues, I'm done with courtroom stuff for a little while. <laughs> Good point. Uh, good point. All right, so September,
0: uh, there was a novel called Prime Directive, which was an original series novel by Judith and Garfield Reeves-Stevens. Uh, I've never read this. H- have you? I think I've seen it in your collection.
1: Yeah, I definitely got it in my collection of audiobooks. Although, to be perfectly frank with you, either um, I have not listened to it yet or it didn't really stick with me (laughs) because I don't really remember the details of it.
0: So from the little caption that's on the back of the book, it it talks about how – I think it's like in the future and and it's like an alternate future where Spock McCoy and the rest of the former crew of the Enterprise go to a planet uh, to see where their careers ended. So I guess something happened that that caused a chain of events that's different than what we're used to. But I haven't actually read it, so I I think I have it in my bookshelf somewhere, but I've just never read it. I have a lot of Star Trek books I've never read. I bet. (laughs) Uh, Also in September was a Next Generation novel called Eyes of the Beholder by A.C. Crispin. And this one is about the... um, Some Federation and Klingon ships disappearing, and Picard and the crew uh, have to travel through – it says here an eerie space graveyard filled with – full of ships of every size and description, Mm. all of them dead in space.
1: Eerie, scary, scary. Yeah,
0: so I I don't know about that one. But A.C. Crispin, I've read several books by that person. I think it's a woman. Isn't it a woman? I think it is. But yeah. yeah, I've got I've got multiple audiobooks that she wrote. Oh, really? She wrote a Deep Space Nine book. I uh, forgot the title of it, which was pretty good. And I've read all her Star Wars stuff, and it's pretty good. But I think she's written real sci-fi stuff, too. I don't think she's only a media tie-in author. No, I don't think so. All right, so next issue, or episode 61, we're actually going to be reviewing... Issues 1, 2, and 3 of the Star Trek ongoing by IDW, which is based in the new continuity uh, after the 2009 movie, which is going to be awesome. Very looking forward to that. And then after that, we'll come back and we will start our new year of Star Trek comics with um, the Star Trek annual Number one and Star Trek the Next Generation annual number one. So only two two issues there. So
1: much big ones. Yeah, they'll
0: be a little long. We've done some annuals before and they, they sometimes drone on a little bit. But this is the great part. So issue yes. number issue number one, annual number one of both of these was written by um, Star Trek actors. So Star Trek the original series annual number one, written by George Decay with an assist by Peter David. Hmm. And the next generation annual number one, written by John DeLancey, with ah. an assist by Michael Jan Friedman. Cool. And the and the uh the funny thing is is that the John DeLancey one was a an episode that he wrote. But they for whatever reason never made it into an episode. Ah. So I guess D C Comics approached him and said, you know, would you be interested in and adapting that into a comic book. And, and
1: he did. So, Cool. So, looking forward to that. Good for John and George. Speaking of John, and I'm going to take us out of our time frame a little bit. Because you're talking about like next year and stuff like that. But in actuality, we're recording much earlier in the year. Uh, John Delancey popping up in Torchwood. Oh, is he in Torchwood? He is. He's uh, a CIA uh, director kind of guy. Huh. So it's very interesting seeing him in, um, in Miracle Day. Does he have any scenes with uh,
0: Nana Visitor? She's already dead. She, dude, I haven't
1: seen it yet. Why ruin it? Why? How far? What? I I'm, haven't watched it. I'm, I'm surprised. I'm surprised you haven't. Wait, I don't have stars. I guess you're a busy man. I don't
0: have stars.
1: Oh, well, you need to get stars for this. I know. Well,
0: usually Star stuff shows up on Netflix pretty quick, but now they've broken that tie, so I don't think it'll ever show up, or at least not anytime soon. Oh, wow.
1: Oh, well. Well, you'll have to wait. That's what DVDs Uh, are for. They'll be showing it on BBC, won't they? BBC America eventually? I don't think so. Oh, man. Well, I'm enjoying it. (laughs) It's really good, Donovan. You're really missing it alright alright alright
0: alright so everybody join us back next week for Star Trek comic book
1: review with Donovan again later bye thank you for listening to Star Trek comic book review all Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated all music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only you can email us at star-t-comic-book-review at gmail.com Visit us at our website wwwsaint comic Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at First Name ST Comic Second Name Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review.